Hey, what's up? I'm Brandon, the worship director at Sanctus Church, and you're listening to the Sanctus Church podcast. Our vision here at Sanctus is to become a regional church of 10,000, meeting the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of people in Jesus' name. We're so glad you've joined us this week. Let's begin. Hey, Sanctus, good morning. So glad you're here, and welcome to the third week in Advent. Our focus today is joy. Joy to the world is one of the best-known Christmas carols probably of all time. Now, the words were penned by a guy named Isaac Watts, a very famous English hymn writer who penned 750 hymns in his life. But Joy to the World actually was not a Christmas carol at all when he wrote it. He actually was inspired when he read the Psalms. Here's the Psalm he actually read. Psalm 98.1, sing to the Lord a new song. He has done marvelous things. His right hand, his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to all the nations. See, Isaac Watts wrote the words, joy to the world, and wrote a hymn out of that, talking about the celebration of Jesus's second coming, the second advent, the end of the end of time, the apocalypse, rather than a song celebrating his first advent, Christmas. See, again, I learned this, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Only half of Watts's lyrics are used today, and that's why it's only a Christmas carol and not a end-of-the-world carol. There's much more to the story. Uh, the music was adapted and arranged later by a guy named Lowell Mason in 1939 in the States. Now, Lowell Mason wrote 1,600 hymns when he was alive, and if you have any traditional church background at all, you probably have sung or know some of him, some of his hymns, like "Nearer to uh, Near to God," uh, so "Near My God to Thee." But what was so wild when I was reviewing this, I talked about this a few years ago. I was reminded that Lowell Mason is also very, very famous for something else that we would all know whether you actually have church history or not. He's the one who wrote the music to, ready? Mary had a little lamb. Well, a hundred years later, the music for Joy to the World wasn't even Mason's anymore, but actually was an adaptation from Handel's Messiah. So here's the wild sort of journey if you do it. Without knowing each other, Three musical geniuses and three followers of Jesus from three different time periods, American, German, and English, have given us one of the most famous, most published, most sung songs in the world. Joy to the world. Joy. That, of course, is the key word in the song. That is the heart and promise of the song. And, of course, that is the theme for us this week in Advent. Now, Some of you might be saying, John, I thought you talked about joy like in the last five or ten weeks. You're right. And let me just stop and remind all of us again what joy is and what joy is not. Joy in this song means biblical joy. And that means, as one wrote, the happy state that results from knowing God and actually serving God. In Greek and Hebrew, one wrote, there are multiple ideas to express joy or the verb form rejoicing. We have the same thing in in English. We have words like joy, happiness, pleasure, delight, gladness, merriment, felicity, enjoyment. In the Bible, there are 400 words or references to joy. Joy is a big deal in the Bible. So with 400 references in the Bible to joy and the promise of joy and Advent and Christmas being all about joy... 
okay, what do our, our lives actually look like? I mean, look around. Do you see much joy online on social media? What about in our culture? What about in our politics? What about in our families? What about in your life? What about in our church's life? What about in the church's life? At this Christmas and in this Advent season, can we actually sing with authenticity joy to the world? And the honest answer is sort of, maybe. It's mixed at best. Why? There are so many things that steal joy, grieve joy, and kill given joy. Remember we talked about these joy stealers a few uh, weeks ago? There were four, and again, I cannot find where I read this originally, but someone said there are four things you've got to think about when you think about joy and why it disappears. Worry, stress, fear, and darkness. Let me walk this through again. Remember, worry is something that may or may not happen. You're worried about it, but you have no clue. Stress is strain over something you cannot control. All of us have been in moments where we feel strain because we can't control that thing, even if it's affecting us. Oh, and then there's fear. And fear is sort of like the next level. Fear is that experience or that uneasiness, that danger, evil, or pain might show up in our life. And the deep shadow, the dark shadow, or darkness itself, is when fear actually is realized, where danger, evil, or pain does touch us. And what's so amazing about the Christmas story is into worry and into stress and into fear and into the deepest, darkest shadow, joy actually comes. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing. That first Christmas night, the Lord came. God himself becomes one, one of us. Uh, as one said, he moves into our neighborhood and the wor- world is filled with song. Finally, for the first time, have you ever thought about that? For the first time in human history, there was someone that would not be overwhelmed by and not be brought down by or fully destroyed by worry, stress, fear, or darkness. For the first time in history, someone who was of us was stronger and bigger than the things that keep taking us out. Now again, how did he come? Let me read it again. Uh, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Well, who came? Well, the Lord did. Who's the Lord? Oh, that's God. We talked about this last week. Remember, 700 years before Jesus was born, this was predicted by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child. He'll give birth to a son, and they're going to call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel categorically means God with us. Not in a storybook way, not in mythology, not in allegory, not in fiction, not in wishful thinking. No, Jesus really was coming, had come, is here, and was in, in the ground, on the ground, really God in flesh. You want to know who God is? I said this last week. Look at the face of Jesus, look at the deeds of Jesus, look at the life of Jesus, look at the teachings of Jesus, look at the miracles of Jesus, look at the death of Jesus, look at the resurrection of Jesus, and you will see your creator, the author of life, the one that we're made in the image of, the one we're meant to know and walk with and have relationship with. And remember, Jesus is the only incarnation, the only expression of God within all of human history. You want to know who God is? You want to know what God's like, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what he invites us into, what he says no to? Just look at Jesus. It's like looking at, 
It's, look, it's like looking at God in a mirror. You go, there he is. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Uh, how did he come? Uh, back to the old story we go. Most of us know it well. Luke 2.8, there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. I shared this year in and year out. Shepherds were outcasts in the sense that they actually usually lived with their flocks and they lived physically, literally on the edge of society. They were normal, everyday people. Shepherds in our culture would be people like working at Timmy's or McDonald's or a cashier at a grocery store or a janitor, maybe in an apartment building or a plumber, maybe in a small rural town or someone who cleans up at a food court or maybe a small micro farmer that just grows garlic. Now, none of these jobs, by the way, are lesser. I can't stand the arrogance in the city that certain people think, like, it's garbage. They're just jobs. But the thing I think we'd all agree upon is if there was like a global world-changing event, God showing up, I don't think we think he's going to show up at Tim's or McDonald's, not even at Starbucks. And we definitely would never expect him to be found in a small farm. And we would never, ever expect him, for example, to show up in like a public school after hours, hanging out with a janitor who's cleaning up after the day. But wildly, that's exactly what happened. God's re-entrance into human time and space comes in the sort of bottom of power, the unexpected place, the lowliest of place. The privilege isn't there. It's just unexpected. I mean, no one would expect God to personally talk to shepherds. No PhDs in theology, no understanding of philosophy, not rich, not powerful, not fashionable, maybe couldn't read, not known, not trending, didn't have millions of followers, just normal, just unspectacular people. God's news comes to peasants, not rulers. The lowly are lifted up by the power of God, like in our day and in their day, it's rich versus poor and throne versus lowly, but God still shows up. I love this. God doesn't saunter by. Yo, I'm here. God doesn't wander in. God shows up with this incredible force, with this epic moment. And he sort of interrupts the lostness and the darkness and the worry and the stress and the preoccupation and also the satisfied rhythms of life. I love this part of the story in Luke 2, 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds. The glory of God shone around them and they were terrified, of course. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I've got good news of great joy, and it's for all people. Uh, this is good news that is going to result in great, oh, there's the word, joy. God has now come for us when we could not get to him, and when we choose not to hide, but face him, meet him, encounter him, accept him in his work, joy, happiness, pleasure, delight, gladness, merriment, felicity, uh, felicity uh, enjoyment is found in the face of our creator. And it's for all people, not just for Jews, but anyone made in the image of God. God's heart is for all people, all family groups, all culture groups, all nations. But everyone has to come through one gate, one door, one shepherd, one person, one way. The one that has been sent, Jesus. Well, the angel keeps on speaking, and as he goes, I, I imagine the word sort of echoed over the field. I'm sure the shepherds, I've always imagined this every Christmas, are suddenly getting it. This is happening. This is not a hallucination. This isn't last night's hummus. Like, this is really happening. This is really an angel. And they would know enough. They would say, this is what we heard about our whole childhood from the rabbis. All of our Jewish hopes, all the prophecies that we were taught growing up in synagogue school, Sunday school, we would call it. Under the rabbis, it's happening to us, but it shouldn't be happening to us. Why is God talking to shepherds? 
Luke 2, 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. And oh, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and he's going to be lying in a manger. I know what they would have said. Well, of course, Bethlehem. I mean, 700 years before, it wasn't just Isaiah. There was another prophet named Micah, Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me the one who will be the ruler over Israel. Of course. Of course it's Bethlehem, they would have thought. And from the line of David, yes, because we are told in the Old Testament that the, the David's line, the King David's line, would go on forever and ever, and King David had died. But even more beautiful than that, do you see it today, Sanctus? David, the greatest of the Jewish kings, was like the shepherds. I mean, what did God say all those generations earlier to David? 2 Samuel 7, 8. Now then. Samuel, you go tell my servant David. I mean, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pastures, from tending the flock, from being a shepherd, and appointed you the ruler over my people Israel. So David was a shepherd. And then the good news that's going to change the whole world comes to shepherds. And the one who's about to be born, oh, is also going to be the great shepherd. So heaven is now saying to those normal, boring, everyday people that, What's so amazing is the one that is coming who's epic and grand and all the things is going to be very much like us. And yet, though he's very much like us, he's also going to be incredibly different because by his names, things get revealed. He is Savior. He's come to deliver people from three things, sin, death, and the demonic. But let me slow down. This really is important, especially if you are hanging out with us and you don't have church background or you come from another faith or, or you just haven't thought this through. See, death happens in three ways to humans, not one. The first way death happens is that uh, we have uh, death relationally. We used to know God, and then we sinned and chose our sin and ourselves and Satan over him. And so when we did that as human beings, our relationship with God didn't just become estranged, it died. There's relational death. Oh, and then there's physical death. I mean, we see it all the time, and we all know we're all going to die. It's guaranteed. Oh, and then there's this third thing called eternal death, hell. So what's incredible is the one that is being proclaimed at this moment is going to actually bring resurrection life back between dead human beings and God that they hated and now get to reconnect with again. He's also going to actually deal with physical death because he's going to overcome death later. And so we get to do the same thing. And he's going to save us from eternal death. Wow. And not only that, he's the savior, not only of those three things, he also becomes the savior uh, in the sense he saves us from our sin, our ability to continue not to not sin, and he also is going to forgive all our sins. Oh, and he's going to set us free from the power of the demonic. That's why he's savior. Oh, and he's Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. Genesis to Malachi is all about him. Let me take you back to the old hymn. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Oh, and let, it, let every heart prepare him room. This takes us back to the moment where Jesus was born in Luke 2, 6. The time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. I've shared this before, but let me do a recap or help you for the first time. An inn could have been a lot of different things back then. A lot of people think it actually just was a home. In very poor homes in the Middle East today, and also back then, animals and families share one house. 
The humans live upstairs, the animals live downstairs. So Mary and Joseph could have been on the main floor of a house with the animals because there was no room upstairs. Others say it was a cave beside a house where the animals lived. Others say the birth actually could have been in the open air, like in a courtyard of a house or inn. Others say, well, actually, Mary and Joseph would have been guests of family. They had family there, but it would have been so overcrowded because of the census, either because there was a family there first, or what we never think about is that the Roman Empire occupied this whole country by military force and a census for taxes was being done. So actually, like in many occupations, houses have the family in it and a soldier or two lives there too. And so maybe there was no room because the Romans were there. Or maybe it was just a heartless innkeeper who didn't care. Cave, barn, part of a house. Here's the point. No matter where it was or what it was, Jesus is laid in a feed trough for animals, a manger. I love this. God comes for us when there's no room. God comes into places that oppose him. God comes into places that don't actually want him, don't expect him. God walks into darkness, and God walks into pain, and God walks into sin, and God walks into stress, and God walks into darkness and fear and worry. God God walks into all the joy stealers and says, joy is stronger. The promise of Christmas is simple. God has come to an unwelcoming world, and he's done it because he loves a disconnected and dying creation. For in that manger, in that trough, holiness and love has come down and come to save, redeem, adopt, confront. The promise of Christmas is this. God is coming whether we expect him to or want him to. Because remember, like the old carol says, he's not just king or lord at his birth. He's king and Lord, period. (laughs) And nothing in creation and no one in creation can stop God when his mind is made up. That's called sovereignty. And the outworking of this grand promise is transformation of the world. It's not about comfort, but it's radical change and rest. And the radical change and the rest is always marked by this one little word, joy. No room in the inn is the great symbol of our world where sex and money and power and politics and greed and religion and slavery and fill in the blank always is opposing it. And yes, though we're more global (laughs) and though we have more discoveries and yes, we've got more knowledge and yes, we have more technology, iPhone 249 or whatever it's at, the world that Jesus was born into and our world is not much different Because even though we've got all the stuff, the human heart has not changed. Listen to the old song again. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. I love this. And heaven and nature sing. Okay. This takes us back to that moment with the angels and the shepherds. And this is really critical. Heaven and nature sing. Luke 2.13. Suddenly, after the angel spoke to the shepherds, a great company, a huge mass of of the heavenly host, of angels, appeared with that one angel. They started praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to people on whom his favor rests. Okay. See that phrase the angels chanted or sang? This is key. This is is really important. You've got glory 
peace, and joy altogether. Now, peace. The one who's being born brings peace. What's peace again? Peace is shalom. Justice, universal healing, reconciliation between God and humanity. But Jesus' birth in peace and the promise that he brings, again, challenges us. Because remember, like I shared last week, money, power, sex, military might, status, education, rights in any form, therapy, governmental interference. Listen, none of them, even though some of them are good, none of them give peace that passes understanding. But the baby that's being born, he's got the ability that the world does not have. But it's what the angels chant or sing that's most important that draws us in today. See, what happens at Christmas is prep for what's about to take place next. It's the seeds that are going to grow into the tree that everyone's going to go, wow. See, it says that the angels glorified God. Joyful praise. You're like, okay, John, I know the Christmas story pretty well. Uh, what's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. Every time that Jesus does ministry, when he grows up, the same thing happens. What the angels do, people start doing again and again and again. Let me do a quick thing, all in Luke. In Luke chapter 5, there's a man who is a paralytic. He could not walk. His friends drag him to a house where Jesus is teaching. They can't get in, so they go up on the roof, dig through the roof. They lower him through the roof. They destroy someone's property. And they lower in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at this paralytic man who cannot walk. And amazingly, he does two things. He says to the man, your sins are forgiven. Hello. And then says, get up and walk. And the paralytic man who cannot walk in front of this whole crowd of people literally stands up and walks out of the house. So what is the response of this man when his sins are forgiven and he can walk? He went home glorifying God, Luke 5.25. Well, the crowd that saw Jesus do this, it says in Luke 5.26, they glorified God and they were filled with awe. This is epic. Uh, Luke 7, Jesus walks into another terrible scenario. There, there's a widow whose son is dead. Jesus walks in, literally brings back this widow's son, like he's dead dead, brings him back to life. It says in Luke 7.16, fear seized everyone who saw it and they glorified God. They're freaked out and they're joyful all at once. Luke, later in Luke 13, there's a woman at synagogue, at church. She's been bent over for 18 long years. She's got a medical condition like reverse hunchback. She, and it's a real medical condition, by the way. But the story tells us that actually the medical condition is caused by a demonic being. Jesus, in the middle of synagogue, in the middle of church, delivers her from the demonic presence and physically heals her. And she glorified God. A little bit later in Luke 18, there's a guy who's blind. Like, not sort of blind, not legally blind in a semi-sense, fully on blind. And he's a beggar. And Jesus walks up and gives him sight. And it says he followed Jesus, Luke 18, 43, and glorified God. Did you catch it? Jesus forgives sins. He heals the sick. He brings people literally back from the dead. He commands the demonic to leave, and he gives sight to the blind. This is why the angels sang, and this is why the people did the same thing. Glorious joy, joy, joy. Every time Jesus shows up, the scenario changes, and joy fills the room. That's why, of course, the amazing old hymn keeps going. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. 
Well, fields and floods and rocks and hills and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. Joy to the world, remember a Savior is born. Save us from what? We talked about this, right? Sin, Satan, death. The songs of the angels, the miracles of Jesus, which are all joy-giving events, find their culmination, find their purpose, their epicenter, their ultimate permanent fulfillment at Jesus' death 33 years later. At Jesus' death, these enemies become permanently broken, and joy just keeps on flowing. The Christmas promise of glory, joy, and peace, the reason why Jesus did all those miracles, dealing with sickness and death and sin in the demonic, like I said, culminates 33 years later on what we celebrate in the Easter season called Good Friday, the very place where all the enemies of the human family are overcome. The baby grew up 33 years later, he finds himself dying between two others, and his companions are not shepherds or angels. It's now convicted criminals. And I just want you to catch this again, though it's Advent. God is found among another unlikely, not expected group. God places himself, his son, between them. The glory of God touching earth on the cross. The glory is just covered for a moment. Three days later, Jesus physically rises from the dead. All those miracles become permanent. And that's why Isaac Watts pens these words. No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. That's a, that's a direct reference to Genesis 3 and the curse of sin. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Sin, death, sickness, disease, the evil one, as far as the curse is found. He rules the world. Oh, who's in charge? Jesus is in charge. He rules the world with truth and grace. And he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, the wonders of his love, the wonders of his love. Now, if you're hanging out with us today, either online or maybe you're at Pickering or Port Perry or Bowmanville or at Ajax or somewhere else, if you are Christian-ish, or maybe you're from another faith, or spiritual, or agnostic, or atheist, or something else. You see the whole story. There's nothing hidden. There's no fine print. Jesus really showed up. Jesus really is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the only true light. Jesus is the only one that darkness cannot overcome. Jesus is the only one that has faced down the demonic sin, sickness, death, disease, Taking it out, he's the only one that has actually not been overcome by worry or stress or fear or darkness in the ultimate sense. Jesus comes for us when we could not get to him. His birth leads to this amazing life. This life leads to an amazing death. This death leads to an amazing resurrection. And we just need to say yes. And he, oh, here's the thing for you if you're a guest today. There's this amazing uh, woman preacher and, th and thinker named Fleming Rutledge who simply stated this, Advent begins where human potential ends. Advent begins where human potential ends. See, if you think you're going to get saved by human achievement or works or look, being good looking or a hard worker or being religious or spirit, you've already missed it. You bring nothing to the table. It's all gift. That's why it's joy. Let me read again the words I've been reading, I think, almost every week. For God, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes, trusts in Jesus, 
will not die, but will be given eternal life. God did not send Jesus, his son, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He does the saving. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. If you have never embraced the Christian faith, and what I mean by that, if you've never embraced Jesus, the living Jesus, today's the day. No, genuinely, today's the day. No manipulation, no emotion. He is who he claims. He's as good as he sounds. He is Savior. He's the King. He's overcome death. He forgives sins. And you just need to say yes to him. If you've never done this, you just pray this prayer wherever you might be. No, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You might be listening to this in a country far away where there are no Christians or very few, or it's even dangerous to be a Christian. Wherever you might be, you pray this. You say, dear God, this Advent, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, so I could get to know you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being with me all my life, and I didn't even know it. I realize right now I need a Savior to set me free from my sin and death and myself and my fear and my worries, all of it, habits, hurts, hang-ups. I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. I want to repent and live a life the way you want me to live a life. I want you to be king, Lord of my life. I welcome you. There's room in my heart for you. Save me by your grace. Save me from my sins. Save me for your purposes. I want to learn to love you now and trust you. I want to become what you've made me to be. Thanks for creating me and choosing me to be part of your family. Right now, by faith, I accept the Christmas gift of Jesus, your son. Fill me with joy. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've just prayed that, life will never be the same. It will not always be easy, but it will be joy-filled. And it will be hopeful. Many of us watching or listening to this are Christians. And if you've been walking with us over the last year, we've talked a lot about joy. And here's what we know as Christians. Joy has already been given to us because, of course, joy is that we know God gets to serve Him, but we still know also joy is a choice. And we know that joy is connected also to this act of remembering. If you want to be able to have a stronger yes this Advent, I still believe the words joy to the world and the words glory to God in the highest, then could I invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, into a few places this Advent season? First, to recover joy, you have to recount what Jesus has already done for you and in you. I brought this up, I think, a few months ago and invited all of us into this small spiritual act of remembering. I'm just not sure if anyone did it. <laughs> I invited the church, I'm going to do it again, to take a moment on an iPad, on a phone, on notes, or on this ancient thing called paper, to actually write down every single thing that Jesus has done in your life how he healed you in the past. Maybe he actually literally de delivered you from the demonic. Uh, list all the things he's forgiven you of, or maybe he provided for you, or salvation. Like, there's so much. Just remember this. Joy comes like watching a sunrise, and it slowly breaks the darkness. And the one, one of the ways the joy sort of 
shows up stronger and stronger is when you recount what the Son of God has already done. If you want to be able to sing joy to the world and glory to God in the highest and actually have genuine joy in this Advent season, list all the things the Lord has done. It will grow. Uh, But this is where I need to end. And this is invitation and challenge, by the way. This isn't just a you thing. This is an us thing. I love what Adam Grant um, tweeted this week. In hard times, people don't want to be told to look on the bright side. They want to know that you are on their side. Even if you cannot help people feel better, you can always help them feel seen. The best way to support others is not to cheer them up. It's just to show up. Oh. See, this is a critical thing. After three years of COVID and lockdown and everything, we have a lot of work to do as Christians in Christian community to rebuild this. Now, we know that Jesus is going to make everything right in the end. We know that we're living between the first advent and the second advent, or you could even say between two amazing victories. But here's the reality. In the middle of victory one and victory two, there has to be a personal choice if you're a Christian to choose joy and remember, but also we together have to choose to keep doing Christian community so we can keep each other joyful. In other words, if you choose not to make Christian community, Christian worship, Sunday worship, connect groups, and being in relationship, intentional relationship with other Christians, your joy meter will tank. One of the most important things you could do, some of you are sitting today in service. This is your first time back in three years. Some of you, you're still like, listen, there is a command in scripture that is related specifically to joy. It says in Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Remember, not giving up meeting with each other, as some are in that keyword habit of doing. The habit is not showing up in community with Christians. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day, the second advent approaching. The more you commit and then now recommit to Christian community, the more joy will happen. In other words, out of a COVID period in an Advent season, you want to be defiant against culture. You want to be then a defiant act of joy is making Christian community critical again in your life. Joy is a choice. You have to remember. Joy is a communal thing, not just a you thing. So you have to be together. But joy is also a gift if you've never met Jesus. That's why we sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let me just end like this. Lord, for those who just prayed to meet the true Jesus, seal that faith, uh, lead them to right relationships, alpha, baptism, connections, all of it, would you work that out? Number two, Lord, uh, this week, would you bring to mind many, many things that you have already done in our lives so joy would grow? And then for a whole group of people, may this be the moment where they recommit almost wedding vows, not just to Jesus, but to his people. May this be a marker moment where people say, I choose joy, not only personally, I choose to be in community to help others with joy and also that I would be joyful. Make this a turning point in many people's lives and in this church and in other churches that are watching. We pray this in Jesus' name. And we said, 
Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit us at our website, sanctuschurch.com. There you'll be able to find ways to support the ministry and what God's vision is for this church. Last but not least, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to hit the subscribe button to be notified when another episode releases. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace.